0: Now Tonight I guess what I want to start doing is I want to get you to start thinking about your life really through the lens of one question. And if I were to answer this question or even propose this question at certain times of my life when things didn't go as I wanted them to go, um, things could have gone a lot better and I definitely would have made less mistakes in my life. And so years ago I picked up a book. By Andy Stanley, he's a pastor that I love, and um, it's entitled "The Best Question Ever," and that's where our material kind of comes from tonight. And I picked up the book because I was intrigued by what could possibly be the greatest question ever. I mean, what could be the best question ever? It says it says this on the back of the book. He says that um, Andy argues asking yourself this question will help you in making decisions, avoid financial ruin, save your marriage, spare yourself from painful emotional scars, help you to never get caught in addictive sin, and guide you toward the fulfillment of your dreams. And I said. All for 16.99, Deal, right? So I bought it. And here's the question. The question was this. What is the wise thing for me to do? So what is the wise thing for me to do? Not what is the right thing or what is the wrong thing, but what is the wise thing for me to do? It said that wisdom is knowing a tomato is a fruit, but knowing not to put it in a fruit salad, right? So wisdom, right, is like, is like discernment, right? It's like, yeah, it's discernment. And, and if you're like me, at first glance, you kind of hear that question, right? What is the wise thing for me to do? And you go, right, that doesn't sound like, all that profound, right? Like, And at first glance, it kind of seems like an easy question, but I really think there's actually a lot of wisdom in it, no pun intended. But the reason I think we're asking ourselves this question tonight is you can almost really convince yourself that anything is a really good idea, right? That you need that new bag or that new phone, even though you're in thousands of dollars of credit card debt because it's on sale, or that you should date this one person even though you've seen the way they treat mom, or you've seen the way they treat dad, and there's been other red flags before, but man, you just think they're cute, or you just don't want to be lonely, and so you ignore the red flags. Or that, you know, that you, sh- you, you, that you should close the door when you're with your boyfriend or girlfriend, even though every time you do, well, you know what happens. See, if you're anything like me, we have the power to convince ourselves that horrible ideas can be good ones, or that ideas that can change the trajectory of our entire lives for the worst are necessary in the moment, because we don't want to be lonely, or we want that new thing, or we want to live, by li- we want to live life by our own terms, chasing kind of our own desires. But the incredible thing about answering this question, I think if you and I think if I were to even propose this question at really any time in our life, especially when we're making really important um, decisions, it can help us change kind of that self-destructive nature that we have because of sin. See, the reality is it's a difficult question to ask because it requires us to remove ourselves from the situation, and we may not ask the question to ourselves because we may not like the answer. Tonight, what I guess I want to do is I want to examine that question through really two different lenses, or better said, maybe two different sub-questions. And see, this question originates 2,000 years ago with, um, with our main man, Paul, right? So the Apostle Paul was writing, um, to, uh, writing a letter, an epistle um, to a group of people, and um, he's kind of challenging Christians to live differently, to be kind of set apart. And I think that's a message that reigns true for you and I today, right? I know so many Christians who their lives don't really look different. The only thing really different about their lives is where they are on a Sunday night. But other than that, Nothing about them is really different. And so let me kind of give you some of the background um, of Ephesians. And so Ephesians was written by Paul um, to Christians in Ephesus. And I've actually been to Ephesus. It's a really, really neat place. And he's giving them some advice on how to live as a Christ follower. And so in this city, the main religion um, is kind of really crazy. Um, the main religion that was predominant in, in that region um, Part of it was sleeping with prostitutes. Like that was how you got nearer or ascended towards God as you would sleep with prostitutes. You would go to the prostitute temple and you would find one and you would sleep with them. And so he's giving kind of the Christians of that time kind of a list uh, of things they should do and things they should not do so they can kind of live a good life or better said, so they can live a life closer to God's will for their life. And so he knew though, but he would get a similar response to kind of what we give. I mean, yeah, that sounds nice, but that doesn't sound like really, really fun. And so I'm just not willing to go all in right now with my relationship with God. Maybe later, just not right now. I mean, I'll come to church, right? But like, I'm still gonna sleep with my boyfriend or girlfriend. I mean, I'll still watch pornography and I'll still go out and get plastered with my friends on a Friday night and I'm gonna act like I'm fully in. And I may, con- I may even convince the people around me that I'm fully in. But deep, deep down, I know if I were to look at my schedule, my time, my actions, and my money, I kind of do what I want. So in short, he's gotta people who aren't really taking their relationship with Jesus that seriously. Well, on the outside, it looks like they're living a life of wisdom or a life that follows God's will for their lives, but they really aren't. And so he writes them a charge. In other words, he, he says, if you're going to make your life about something, then listen up. Make it about this one thing. This says this in the book of Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 and 17. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. So Paul's going to be doing something really interesting here. He's giving you and I a new standard of living. He's kind of raising the bar and asking believers to be set apart. In other words, to live life differently than the world. He's challenging us to go against culture because the days are evil. And you're saying, what on earth does that mean? Well, What he's kind of communicating when he's saying the days are evil, he's saying that culture standards for living are not God's standard of living. And by large measure, they're not really good for our lives. In essence, they're not really good for human flourishing. I mean, just think about what TV's. And movies, and magazines, and music, and even our friends tell us really is okay. I mean, what they say is okay about sex and our relationship with God, relationships in general, finances, etc. I mean, none of it is really biblical, and in the long run, it just really harms our future. So Paul gives us kind of this new standard to live by, and the standard that he's kind of setting forth—not is it right, not is it wrong—the new standard is: is it wise? And so the first of two questions I want to give you guys tonight is this: In light of my past experiences, what is the wise thing to do? In light of my past experiences, what is the wise thing to do? See, your history is unique. There's no one like you. The sum of your past experiences predisposes you towards specific weaknesses and specific strengths in your relationships and your finances and even in your careers. In essence, you are more prone to certain sin or temptation in some areas than other people are. Some activities others find easy to walk away from, but for you, it's, it's a struggle, or even some situations are more difficult for you or for me to process because of our background story, right? We all have family of origin issues, right? That's because, man, we live in a world that's fallen. And so mom and dad maybe did their best, but, man, we still got some bruises going through being, being in their households or whatever it is. Or we've had some traumatic things happen in our lives. So we all have dirty closets, I guess you would say, right? We all have, to, we all have family of origin issues. And when Chelsea and I started dating and, uh, and when I knew I wanted to marry here, I knew I needed to go to counseling. little background on my stories. I didn't really grow up seeing like the healthiest marriage, you know, and I don't know what your story is like, but I definitely didn't. I, I had two parents that kind of avoided each other during conflict or they would blow up and storm out of the house or whatever it was. So I never really developed or even saw what healthy conflict really looked like. I just became really good at yelling and storming out of the room. And when we first started dating, I don't know what it was, but every Sunday night after young adults, and this is many years ago, we would sit in the parking lot for like hours after young adults. And that's when all of our fights would happen. At the end of the week, we're tired. And we would just start arguing about like, I don't know, about time or whatever it was. I don't know. But we just started getting in the craziest fights. We'd yell at each other. I'd get super angry. I would like, I could leave and I'd like just walk out of her car and slam her door and like go over to my car. I'm surprised she married me. I was a mess, right? But no, seriously, right? Like even silly things, and I'm embarrassed to say it, but I was way into fitness, like so into fitness. And like if 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 she would get like a soda when we would go out, I would like, but like, I'm not talking to you for the rest of the night, right? Like, that's where I was at. It's ridiculous, right? Like, it just makes me laugh. Like, I was like, how the crap did you marry me? I was a mess, right? I was a mess. So I tell you that story to tell you this. The reality is, and I want you to hear this. The reality is there's no such things as marriage problems. There's two people who have problems that enter into a marriage. So I, I want to do my best And I'm still working at it. But I wanted to do my best to clean my closet out before we got married. I had to go through some things and process some things and and ask questions like, why am I sensitive towards that? And and I had to go through a process of of looking at those things and, like I said, cleaning out my closet. So does the Bible anywhere say that I needed to go to counseling? Like, thou art the go-to counsel. Like, Like, that's not what it said, right? It doesn't say that anywhere in the Bible. But when I looked at kind of my past experiences, what was the wise thing for me to do? What was to go to counseling? Right? And I can promise you, it's the greatest thing. I've been counseling seven years now? Six, seven years? Yeah, and it's, I go every Friday. It's the best thing I could have ever done, was to make that decision. I was, I, if I wanted a healthy marriage in, 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 in light of my past experiences, then how can I, how can I make that happen? How am I going to learn how to handle conflict? Because I never watched it in a healthy way growing up. Maybe maybe give you another sh- illustration. Weeks ago, um, I was meeting with my best friend from my childhood. And... Um, he, his name is Taylor, and Taylor's a great guy, but he's a recovering heroin addict. And uh, it took him years to finally get clean, and he's like on a nine-month, um, he's been sober for nine months, which is by far the longest he's, he's ever been. He's been addicted to heroin for probably seven years now. And so for years, he would try to get clean, but he couldn't. And I was like, dude, look who your friends are. Like, all of them are addicts, and they're still doing it. And listen, there's, on the outside, there's nothing wrong with you hanging out with, like, a bunch of people who are addicts. There's nothing wrong with you hanging with, with those people if you're not sticking a needle in your arm but it's just not wise. Now in the Bible it say you can't hang out with people who do drugs. But if you're addicted to drugs, then use, use wisdom. Don't, don't hang out with those people. You're going to get tempted to do those things. Or I know people who won't use credit cards because they, they have past failures in debt. So the temptation of credit is too much for them, so they, they don't get a credit card. See, we oftentimes have to take drastic steps in certain areas of our lives that were set up for failure because of our past experiences. So the second question I want to give you guys tonight is this. What is the wise thing to do in light of your future hopes and dreams? So what is the wise thing for you to do in light of your future hopes and dreams? See, all of us have hopes and dreams for our future, right? We, we have dreams of what we want our life to look like financially and relationally and even spiritually and, and professionally. And I'm sure from time to time you dream about what your life could look like in 10 years. Right? I mean, that's really the only way for you to like, get up at 9 o'clock and go to a class, right? It's because there's going to be an end goal. There's going to Hopefully, you're going to get the white picket fence someday, right? in the nice house and things like that, right? We all have kind of a, a, of a vision or a dream of what we want our, our, our ideal life to really look like. But the reality is most people aren't living their dreams. And you have to ask the question, why is that? Because the reality is there are twists and turns in the road that reshape our future. But more importantly or primarily, the primary reason is because we rob ourselves by our decisions made in the moment with no thought about those impacts of our future. And this is really easy to see in other people, right? You can see kind of like the dots align in other people and in their schedules and what they're doing and go, it's not gonna end up well for you. But it's really difficult to look in our own life and see the kind of the same dots connect. It's difficult to see this in the mirror. And I want you guys to remember this, that today's decisions equal tomorrow's hopes and dreams. Today's decisions equal tomorrow's hopes and dreams. And so if you're gonna remember anything from my talk today, this is what I want you to remember. The future health of your marriage of your relationships and of your finances are all determined by today's decisions. The future health of your marriage, your finances, your relationships are all determined by today's decisions. Or like I said last week, we all end up somewhere. Few people end up there intentionally. Many years ago, I had a a group of junior high students, which I love this exercise, and I don't know why I haven't done it in a while, but I'm probably gonna do this probably with every age group, is um, I had a group of junior high students write a letter to themselves in the future, And so I directed their thoughts to get them to focus on their character, their future marriage someday, um, their relationship they're going to have with God, others, and even the relationship they're going to have with their kids. And I had so many students come up to me and say that all of a sudden, like 20 years became really real. Like their futures became really real to them. Their current decisions would have an impact on what kind of life they could have in the future or the life they wanted to have in their future. See, many people are, are now contemplating decisions that will affect their future. But for some reason, we continue to throw in the same excuses that kind of got us in the pile of regret and less-than-life that we've dreamed for. But what if? What if we were serious about this? What if we really took the time to really think through the decisions that we're contemplating and, and, and throw out the excuses and see how they're really going to affect and change our future? I mean, no one plans to mess up their life. I've never met somebody on their wedding day that looks into their spouse's eyes and is gleaming back at them and is going, I just can't wait. To ruin this, I just can't wait to get a divorce. I can't wait to take half of what is yours, and you get to take half of what is mine. I just can't wait. No one, no one on the on the day they get to see their baby boy or their baby girl, pick them up towards the sun and just goes, "I just can't wait to screw your life over." Like no one, no one says that. No one goes, "I just can't wait to make you codependent. I just can't wait to just ruin you." Right? I'm so excited for that. Right? No one says on their first date, "I just can't wait to fall for you and then really let this get out of hand and cross all of my personal boundaries and just just ruin my life." to make it maybe more personal no one plans on being in debt they can't get out of and to make this personal for you my mom's house went on the market today because my my mom when my dad was alive and my my mom still is they made a series of financial decisions that were unresponsible, fiscally irresp- irresponsible and and now she's going to lose her house to make it even more personal no one takes their first drink thinking this is drastically going to turn their life into a downward spiral I guarantee you that my dad, so my dad passed away um, on the 14th of January tomorrow, four years ago, um, because of alcohol. And I guarantee you, back when he was 21, whenever he started drinking, he never thought that first drink was going to eventually lead to a downward spiral that was going to take his life. It happens gradually through a series of not immoral, but unwise decisions. And decisions that we just kind of really just begin to ignore these red flags. And you just think back on on a poor, and I want you to think about, think about a poor decision you've made. It didn't just happen, right? There were a bunch of red flags that you kind of cruised on through to get there. I heard a, the story of a—it's a true story of a pastor named Frank who worked in the same office as a girl named Sheila. And Frank is married, and, and Sheila is not. And he decides that one day he's going to go to lunch with Sheila, and he thinks that you know everyone's got to go to lunch, and so no one's in the office, lunch is fine, and and we're having and hopefully we'll have a really nice Conville. So they go to lunch, and they really enjoy their time. They enjoy the presence of one another. And one night, a few weeks later. As they're kind of working late, no one's in the office again. He invites you to dinner. He thinks, everyone's got to eat. My family, Jesus ate. Let's go to dinner, right? And uh, at the kind of the dinner, um, he kind of starts to talk about his marriage problems. He begins to kind of open up to Sheila about his, his marriage and how things just aren't really working out. And by the way, just to pause through the story, it is, how to say this? If you're in a relationship, whether it be you're, you're seriously dating, you're engaged, or you're married, it's never appropriate for you to confide in someone that you have the potential to be attracted to later on. So set that boundary now. So at dinner, Frank begins to kind of tell Sheila about his marital issues. And she thinks, you know, I'm being such a great Christian. I'm being such a good counselor. In fact, even the Bible says to help one another, right? Late that night, Frank goes to drop Sheila off at her house. And so it's dark outside and Frank walks her up, right, to make sure that it's safe, of course, because it's late. They get to the door and Sheila invites him in, right, because it would be rude not to. And he could use some coffee kind of for the late night drive home. 20 minutes later, as he's leaving, she leans in for a hug, and one thing turns into another. And now he's in an affair that's lasted a few years. And he's lost his job because he was a pastor. And he's lost his family. Wife won't speak to him anymore, and his kids now resent him. And he lost the life that he had. Now, I tell that story really to show you this. All throughout that story, there were moments and you were like, stop. Like, like don't do that. Like, that, that's unwise. Like, you need to pump the brakes. Because you see each step getting closer and closer to disaster. See, each innocent step may not be wrong, but they're definitely not right, wise. The reality is we can always justify our decisions as that there, there's nothing wrong with them. We, 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 if you're anything like me, you can justify certain decisions as doing nothing wrong. And see, Frank and Sheila in the beginning weren't doing anything wrong, but they, like I said, they weren't doing anything that was wise. And see, no one plans to mess up their life. No one plans to mess up their life. They just don't plan not to because they don't set the right boundaries in place. And so tonight I'm challenging you to do what ch- like Paul was challenging us to do. And that is to set really high boundaries for your life that if crossed, there'll be no consequences. If you set really, really high boundaries in your life, for your arena and category of your life, if you cross them, nothing bad has really happened. Let me give you a silly example. Um, my wife and I have a rule with each other that I'm never to be alone with a woman, right? Like I, I, won't, I, won't, I won't be in a car. And it, if it's silly, if I'm in a car, I'll be FaceTiming her or whatever it is. I'll never be alone with a woman. She'll never be alone with me. Not because we don't trust each other but because we want to do a thing that's wise for each other. So I meet with people all the time who would say, I would do anything to go back and fill in the blank, to redo that one mess up, that one financial mistake, or that one time I messed up with that one girl or that one guy. Well, Why not take the same intensity before another poor decision is made? I guess here's what I want you to know. We will either have extreme regret or you'll have extreme standards. You're either going to have extreme regret or extreme standards, but you get to choose. So we kind of wrap up today. Here's what I want you to know. Or this least my challenge for you. Make this year a year where you pursue wisdom and set boundaries that may look silly, but they'll make your future better. Any question I want to give you guys today is this. In light of my past experiences and my future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing for me to do? Let me pray for us. God, I am uh, I'm thankful. I'm thankful, God, for, um, for this book. I am thankful, God, for... Um, for Paul, and his, his challenge, God, for us to live differently, but also, God, to live in, in a way that walks in wisdom. And so, God, I don't know the story of every person that's here, um, God, the decisions they're making, God, but I ask, God, that you, this year, help them live with, with intent. God, that, that every decision they're making is really going to alter, God, their future. Every decision they're making is leading them to a destination. And so, Father, I just ask, God, that you continue to speak in their ear, and, God, that you continue to direct them closer to your will, God, for what their life is supposed to be about. Father, we love you, we thank you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said.